Welcome to the June 23rd, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll learn more about salvage therapy with nivolumab plus or minus ICE, or NICE, for Hodgkin lymphoma. Discuss the role of BMP2 SMAD pathway activation in leukemic transformation. And learn more about the role of zinc in T-cell reconstitution after transplantation. Our first blood article is entitled, Response-Adapted Anti-PD-1-Based Salvage Therapy for Hodgkin Lymphoma with Nivolumab Plus or Minus Ice, NICE by Matthew May from the City of Hope Medical Center and colleagues. Modern first-line treatments are effective in approximately 80% of patients with classical Hodgkin lymphoma, leaving approximately 20% of patients with primary refractory or relapsed disease. Standard therapy for this group of patients consists of salvage combination chemotherapy followed by high-dose consolidation with autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, or HSCT, in chemosensitive patients. This approach is curative in most patients, and recent efforts aimed at developing different cytotoxic salvage regimens have not been shown to be superior in terms of disease control. The main goal of antibody-targeted therapies for Hodgkin lymphoma is to achieve similar or higher levels of efficacy as already available therapies, with potentially reduced toxicity. Brentuximab-Vidotin is an anti-CD30 antibody drug conjugate that acts by directing the microtubule-disrupting agent monomethyl-oristatin-E to cells expressing the CD30 antigen. In studies to date, incorporating Brentuximab-Vidotin into salvage therapy has resulted in complete response rates ranging from 68% to 83%. When Brentuximab-Vidotin monotherapy was used as initial salvage, it yielded complete response rates of 27% to 43% prior to autologous HSCT and without the use of chemotherapy. Nivolumab is an anti-PD-1 antibody with demonstrated effectiveness in patients with relapsed and refractory classical Hodgkin lymphoma. In Hodgkin lymphoma, anti-PD-1 antibodies act by interrupting the signaling between Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells and tumor-associated macrophages, and the infiltrating T-cells, which express PD-1. It is believed that the rapid responses to anti-PD-1 therapy seen in Hodgkin lymphoma are indicative of a direct effect on cell survival rather than generation of an adaptive immune response. In earlier studies conducted in patients with relapsed and refractory classical Hodgkin lymphoma, the combination of brentuximab-vidotin and nivolumab as first salvage therapy was well-tolerated and yielded a complete response rate of 67% and three-year progression-free survival of 77%, serving as a bridge to autologous HSCT. In the current report, the aim of the Phase II trial was to evaluate the role of PET-adapted sequential nivolumab, followed by nivolumab combined with iphosphamide, carboplatin, and etoposide, also known as NICE, in patients who did not achieve complete response with nivolumab alone. The study included a total of 43 patients 18 years or older with CD30-positive classical Hodgkin lymphoma that was either primary refractory or had relapsed after initial therapy. 60% of patients were male, and median patient age was 35 years. Every two weeks, 
the patients received 240 milligrams of intravenously administered nivolumab for up to six cycles. Patients who achieved a complete response after cycle six proceeded to transplant, while those with progressive disease or without a complete response after cycle six received NICE for two cycles. The primary endpoint was complete response rate per the 2014 Lugano classification at completion of protocol therapy. Clinical response was assessed after the first three cycles of nivolumab using PET-CT, and subsequent treatment was determined based on this initial response. Stem cell mobilization, autologous HSCT, and post-transplantation consolidation were performed at the discretion of the treating investigator after the completion of study therapy. Safety was monitored throughout the study. 42 out of 43 patients were evaluable for efficacy, and all 43 were evaluable for safety. 34 patients received nivolumab alone, and 9 patients received a combination of nivolumab and NICE. The overall response rate was 81%, and the complete response rate was 71% with nivolumab alone. All patients who received NICE responded to therapy, and 89% achieved a complete response. At the end of protocol therapy, the overall response and complete response rates were 93% and 91% respectively. The two-year progression-free survival was 72%, and the overall survival was 95% in all treated patients. The two-year progression-free survival was even higher, 94%, among the 33 patients who bridged directly to transplant after completing the trial protocol. A total of 10 patients did not proceed to transplant, including one patient who died from sepsis during nivolumab monotherapy. Two patients discontinued treatment due to toxicity, and one refused NICE and withdrew from the protocol. Study authors concluded that adapted sequential salvage therapy with nivolumab alone or nivolumab plus NICE was well-tolerated and effective, yielding a high complete remission rate and bridging most patients to transplant without the need for chemotherapy. In an accompanying commentary, Peter Johnson from the University of Southampton in the United Kingdom notes that the results from this trial are comparable to those seen in the study which used brentuximab vidotin as monotherapy. Although a greater number of patients was able to proceed to high-dose therapy after nivolumab than after brentuximab vidotin, the potential to spare approximately 70% of patients from salvage chemotherapy prior to high-dose consolidation and autologous HSCT is clearly advantageous. While the autoimmune toxicities that led to withdrawal of three patients from the trial are a concern, overall toxicity of the therapy protocol was otherwise limited, and no grade 3 events were reported. Johnson concludes that, as first-line treatments evolve in response to the data emerging from clinical trials, it is likely that the proportion of patients pre-exposed to brentuximab vidotin will increase making anti-PD-1 antibodies the preferred second-line therapy. Next up, we'll discuss an article in Blood entitled BMP2 SMAD Pathway Activation in JAK2P53 Mutant Megakaryocyte Erythroid Progenitors Promotes Leukemic Transformation by Bing Li, Wenbin An, and Hua Wang from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York and the Chinese Academy of Medical Sciences and Peking Union Medical College in China, and colleagues. Approximately 10% to 20% of patients with myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPNs, 
undergo transformation to acute myeloid leukemia with a clinical phenotype that is very different from de novo AML. The prognosis for these patients is poor, and they often do not respond to conventional anti-leukemic therapies. Somatic mutations which activate the JAK-STAT pathway, including mutations in JAK2, CALR, and MIPL, are the hallmark of BCR-ABLE1 negative MPNs. The TP53 gene is mutated in approximately one-third of MPN patients at the time of leukemic transformation. Most patients harbor TP53 missense mutations, which are predominantly located in the DNA binding domain. In a study of more than 3,000 myelodysplastic syndrome patients, bi-allelic TP53 loss was associated with high-risk disease, while patients with monoallelic aberrations had a similar clinical course to those with wild-type TP53. Copy number alterations in chromosome 17p and concomitant loss of the wild-type TP53 allele are also commonly observed in patients with leukemic transformation. However, exactly how these mutations and allelic configuration drive disease progression remains unknown. This group of authors has previously demonstrated in mice that deletion of the analogous gene TRP53 combined with JAK2V617F mutation leads to a highly penetrant myeloid leukemia. In the current study, they used preclinical models to assess how the TP53 allelic state promotes leukemic transformation, the cellular origin of blastic progression, and whether TP53 mutant clones can be therapeutically targeted. The authors crossed JAK2V617F knock-in mice with mice expressing a conditional oncogenic allele of TRP53R172H and a conditional loss of functional allele of TRP53. This created an allelic series of JAK2 and single and double TRP53 mutant mice. Mice with homozygous P53 loss developed pure erythroleukemia and survived only 8 to 13 weeks. In contrast, mice that retained one wild-type copy of TRP53 had a longer survival without progressing to leukemic transformation, confirming that bi-allelic TP53 inactivation is essential for progression. Furthermore, the authors found that the BMP2-SMAD pathway is aberrantly activated during leukemic transformation, leading to abnormal, stem cell-like self-renewal features of megakaryocyte erythroid progenitors. They observed that JAK2-TRP53 mutant pure erythroleukemia is characterized by recurrent copy number alterations and DNA damage. The authors postulated that this may unravel a potential therapeutic target due to selective dependency on the remaining DNA repair pathways, PCDC2 and PARP, to guard genomic integrity. Using a synthetic lethality strategy, they were able to demonstrate that treatment with a synergistic combination of WE1 and PARP inhibitors, adivocertib and olaparib, promoted DNA damage and apoptosis, reducing leukemic burden and prolonging survival compared to vehicle or single-agent treated controls. The authors concluded that, taken together, these findings provide new mechanistic insights into the process of P53 mutant leukemic transformation and offer new clinically translatable therapeutic approaches. In an accompanying commentary, Charlotte Brierley from the MRC Weatherall Institute of Molecular Medicine in the United Kingdom notes that the key novel finding of this paper is that erythroid progenitors are uniquely vulnerable to TP53-mediated leukemogenesis. 
While further validation in patients is needed, the identification of a novel therapeutic approach relying on orally bioavailable PARP and WE1 inhibitors with proven tolerance in solid organ cancers is very exciting. Briarly further notes that these findings raise numerous questions that should be addressed in future studies, including why JAK2 mutant background promotes the generation of TP53 mutations and compounds their effect, how complex cytogenetics contributes to leukemic transformation, and whether the erythroid stage is uniquely vulnerable to the effects of knocking out TP53. In the final segment of today's podcast, we will review a report published in Blood entitled Activation of the Zinc-Sensing Receptor GPR39 Promotes T-Cell Reconstitution After Hematopoietic Cell Transplant in Mice by Lorenzo Iovino from Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center and colleagues. Production of new naive T-cells relies on their development and carefully regulated selection in the thymus. Thymopoiesis is sensitive to multiple insults and even to normal aging as part of age-related thymic involution. Thymic fragility is particularly apparent after HSCT when impaired thymopoiesis can lead to delayed and defective immune reconstitution as well as to immune dysregulation. Lymphopenia that occurs in the setting of cytoreductive therapies and conditioning before HSCT contributes to prolonged T-cell depletion leads to high morbidity and mortality from opportunistic infections, and likely facilitates malignant relapse. There are currently no approved therapies to enhance post-transplant T-cell reconstitution in HSCT recipients, despite a remarkable capacity of the thymus to undergo endogenous repair. Zinc is the second most abundant trace element in the body, with an established role in immune health. Studies to date have established that zinc deficiency can have widespread effects on immune health, including defective B-cell development, atrophy of the thymus, and disrupted T-cell function. The thymus is the primary site of T-cell development, and restoration of T-cell immunity is dependent on tissue regeneration in the thymus. However, while it has been established that zinc deficiency can lead to thymic involution and that dietary supplementation with zinc can offset these effects, the exact mechanisms by which zinc affects thymic function remains poorly understood. The aim of the current study was to assess the role of zinc in the differentiation and development of thymocytes during T-cell development and its role in immune system regeneration after acute injury using mouse model and cell culture experiments. A better understanding of thymic damage and repair mechanisms could facilitate the discovery of new therapies that promote T-cell reconstitution. The study revealed that zinc is critically important for both normal T-cell development as well as repair after acute injury. Specifically, the authors found that zinc that accumulated in thymocytes during development was released into the extracellular space after HSCT conditioning, where it triggered endogenous thymic regeneration by stimulating endothelial cell production of BMP4 via the G-protein-coupled receptor GPR39 previously identified as a zinc-sensing receptor. BMP4 is a member of the bone morphogenetic protein family that has been previously found to promote the regeneration of thymic epithelial cells and T-cell reconstitution. The authors were able to demonstrate that BMP4 levels depended on zinc, as thymi from zinc-deficient mice had less BMP4 protein, 
which could be rescued by dietary supplementation with zinc sulfate. Interestingly, direct pharmacologic stimulation of GPR39-enhanced thymic regeneration eliminated the need for prolonged zinc administration. These observations lead to the conclusion that zinc functions as a damage-associated ion released by dying thymocytes, transmitting a signaling cascade that leads to T-cell reconstitution. In an accompanying commentary, Eric Perkey from the University of Michigan and Ivan Millard from the University of Pennsylvania note that the findings by Iovino and collaborators provide new insights into the immunological significance of zinc as a new damage-associated molecular pattern in the thymus. Furthermore, they believe that the detailed identification of the signaling cascades involved in thymic regeneration outlined in this study informs molecular models and could inspire new therapeutic concepts for transplant patients. For example, there are already ongoing trials of zinc supplementation to promote T-cell reconstitution after autologous HSCT. As Perky and Millard point out, as opposed to zinc supplementation starting only after transplant, it might be essential to preload recipients with zinc so that potent zinc-mediated damage signals can be released at the time of thymic injury. Iovino and colleagues also explored an alternative strategy using a small molecule agonist of GPR39. Their preclinical data in mice suggest that this approach can stimulate the GPR39 BMP4 regenerative cascade efficiently while bypassing zinc release as a signaling event and thus also the need for zinc preloading. Some questions that remain unanswered include whether zinc supplementation or GPR39 agonism will significantly improve thymic function in the presence of immune-mediated thymic injury, as well as what is the potential upper age limit in thymic recovery. Perky and Millard conclude that interventions to boost T-cell production will have to be integrated with other approaches to remediate the complex immune dysregulation experienced by recipients of allogeneic transplantation. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.